Welcome to more than a few words of marketing conversation for small business owners. MTFW is a production of Roundpeg where we believe marketing strategy should be in plain English. This is Lorraine Ball and Allison Carter and this week we're going to talk about parties. I don't actually like parties. Oh, pretend that you do. Got my party hat on, I guess. Okay. Well, we're actually going to talk about parties and events and concerts and plays and some things you actually do like. Oh, cool. I'm all for them. And what we're going to focus on is really if you are hosting mm-hmm. any type of an event, how do you use the internet effectively mm-hmm. to promote your event, to inform people, to get people excited before, during, and after your event? Well, I've already designed this flyer that, you know, we're going to put in the store window, we're going to put on, you know, the bulletin board of the marsh. I'll just put that up on the website just as a PDF. That's going to work, right? I mean, I've already done it once. Absolutely. You have already done it once and you need to do it again. What? Well, what's wrong with just putting up a PDF? Well, let's talk about just putting up a PDF. And we see this a lot. I go to a lot of websites and they're like, we're having this fundraising event. Read our brochure. Well, the problem is that, number one, search engines can't read that brochure. Right. When information is kept in, a PDF is essentially a visual file. It can't, they can't scan the information. And when it says a download, you have to keep in mind, a lot of people aren't going to download something from a random website in case they get a virus or if they're on a mobile phone and don't want to use the data. Or they're just like, yeah, too much work. People are incredibly lazy on the internet. Never underestimate that. And so... It's great if you have a flyer. It's perfectly okay to have that as an attachment, but pretty much your web page should contain all of the information and even more in text format that someone can scan quickly, that someone can copy and paste. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a client call us recently and he's performing at an event and all he had was a PDF of their brochure and it was incredibly difficult to create a simple blog post on his website to promote the event because we couldn't grab the content from anywhere else. Absolutely. You need to make sure it's accessible online. There is really almost no event that shouldn't have an online presence these days. And it can be something as simple as uh, where to call to buy tickets, but in most instances, you should have a link to some kind of registration page. Right, and there are, are we're not going to get down this rabbit hole, but there's Eventbrite, there's brown paper tickets, there are all kinds of very inexpensive options for even the smallest nonprofits to set or any other organization to sell tickets to an event online. And the advantages, again, without getting into the individual technology, the advantages so far outweigh mm-hmm. the ticket fees. And I hear this a lot. Oh, but we don't want to have a ticket fee. In this day and age, people are used to that. I buy tickets from uh, Ticketmaster for a concert, and I'm, I'm going to add on. If the tickets are 100 bucks, I'm going to add on 15 or 20 for Ticketmaster's oh, cost. More than that, I once bought a $26 ticket, and the fees were almost as much as the ticket itself when it cost me almost 50 bucks. And so, you know, adding on a dollar or two for a processing fee, people are not going to blink twice. And the um, ability to process credit cards, if you don't have credit card processing, because a lot of small businesses don't, 
let let these the Dini, Ventbrite, whoever, let them handle that. Take the risk for managing the credit cards. You just take the checks and go home. Exactly, and people are assured that they're going to have a place on the day. You don't have to worry about manning a phone line so people can call and reserve tickets. It just makes life better. Absolutely. And then the other thing, the other reason for having the text on your website is it facilitates social sharing. Mm -hmm. And that can be in any number of um, forms. Yeah, and one of the biggest things that we're seeing these days, one of the most popular methods of event marketing these days are the idea of social media teams actually being present at either the event itself or a preview of some kind. And um, this can work really well or really poorly. It really depends. Let me, let me just kind of clarify what I mean. Um, this is something that I do pretty regularly. Um, typically how it works is in exchange for a free ticket, usually, not always, um, you allow someone who has an influential following on social media to come to your event, talk about their experiences, maybe write a blog post, maybe tweet about it, share it from a Facebook page, whatever the case may be, they help to share their personal experiences at your event with a broad audience. And so it's really important as you're looking at who do you want on your social media team, whether it's a group of bloggers or um, a tweet team, that there's several things. Number one, that the people you're inviting are not just influential in general, but that they are influential in this category. That this is something they talk about or write about or are connected to other people who have that same interest because otherwise it's just noise. Yeah. Inviting me to a sporting event would be a massive waste of time. Unless it's racing. Unless it's racing. That is true. I do know my racing. But inviting me to a basketball game would be a waste of time. I wouldn't even know what to tell people. I was like, the tall guy has the ball. <laughs> but... Inviting me to a theater event, inviting me to a museum opening, that kind of stuff, those are my people. That's what they follow me for. And the other thing is making sure that you're targeting demographically, not necessarily the customer or patron you have now, but the one that you want. I mean, a good example, um, you're on, we'll give them a little bit of props, you're on the board for Storytelling Arts of Indiana. Fabulous organization, I love a good story. They are working really hard to reach a younger demographic. Somewhere along the way, although you like stories as kids, mm -hmm. you've not, as a generation, necessarily been introduced to this art form mm -hmm. as adults. Um, and so by bringing you into the organization and having you tweet, hopefully will attract that mm -hmm. Gen X demographic. I am not Gen X. I'm sorry. I am not that old. Thank you very I'm much. Sorry, Gen Y. Please. Yeah, Jen's somebody else. Anyway, uh, I was also invited to a large charity gala event um, because they looked around their audience and said, hey, we have a lot of gray hairs in this room. In order to keep this organization vital and to continue doing the important work that benefits from the event, we need to start cultivating the next generation of donors, which is young professionals. So think about not just who your base is, but who you would like it to be. Absolutely. And again, the other side of it is is identifying people that have some credibility. Mm -hmm. Even though you may not necessarily have been um, at a lot of storytelling events, you certainly have been at a lot of theater mm -hmm. and performance arts events. And so it was a natural fit as you made that 
transition to that that particular art form. Another good example is um, the Children's Museum of Indianapolis recently renovated their infant and toddler play area, which is called Playscape. And so as part of that rollout, they selected half a dozen or so local families and are bringing them in once every month over the first, once every other month over the first year of the exhibit so they can talk about how it grew with their children. And so that's just kind of their standing deal. And I think it's a great idea. It wouldn't make sense to invite someone like you who has grown children to do something like this. So by smartly targeting people with young children who would be willing to vine about it, tweet about it, blog about it, they're reaching people who are friends with those people who also probably have young children or in the process of becoming pregnant or something like that. They're in that life phase. Um, one thing that I, th I think is important to mention is the fact that you cannot control what people say about your event or your venue. Mm -hmm. And so um, as you invite Twitter teams and blogging teams, you better be sure you have your act together. You do need to make sure you have your act together, but I cannot stress this enough. You can't tell someone what to tweet or share. Um, some people will provide sample tweets in case people wanted to tweet that, fine. I can choose to do that or I can choose not to do that. Do not try to censor someone you have invited to an event. Do not tell them what they can or cannot tweet about. Um, do not try to influence what they say in any other way than giving them the best experience possible. Or you will be in a gray legal area, according to the FCC, and you can get a lot of ire against you. And it probably won't work because if blogger or the tweeter has those issues, probably the general public is going to too. So you're just shooting yourself in the foot. And um, one of the ways to maybe prevent some unhappy situations is if you're going to invite someone to tweet, read their tweet stream before you invite them. Um, there's some very influential people in this community that have a Twitter feed that is a mixture of brilliant, mm -hmm. funny, and borderline offensive. Some of them aren't even borderline. And that's okay for them and who they are, but if those tweets are not in sync with what you want representing your brand, don't invite them to come. And, and I think that's, I think a lot of companies think, well, when they're tweeting at my event, they won't do that. Well, they might. Any time you have people who are not on your payroll in the equation, even if you've given them a freebie ticket, people can tweet unpredictable things. I have sent, I have been sent, I have been to many events where I was asked to tweet about that I did not like what I saw. There are ways that you can still, and I think that most people who are good at this, find ways of expressing the experience without necessarily, without lying. You should never lie. But saying, this is a kind of person who might enjoy this event, or this is a really interesting aspect of this event. Uh, most people, I've never known of a problem, uh, at least not here in Indianapolis, where someone went off the rails at an event. I'm sure it does happen. Well, and I think it's less about um, them maybe blasting the event or not liking it, is just being who they were mm -hmm. 
using a four-letter word in a tweet. Use oh, yeah. You, you, okay, you're saying, oh, yeah, yeah but, but if I'm promoting a family venue and I've got a hashtag mm -hmm. that I'm using to promote my event, um, I better be sure that I know the, the, the writing style of the people I'm inviting, at least a well, little bit. you can't bit. control a hashtag, but... No, but, but it, again, if I'm, in, if I'm inviting you, and I... Oh, the example, um, this is outside of Twitter, but it, it certainly can roll the same way. When I was in corporate, we invited Fred Kelleher, the, the CEO and founder of Southwest Airlines, to okay. speak at a conference. Nobody, everybody knew he was brilliant, everyone knew he was funny, nobody had actually ever heard him speak before they invited him and had no idea how many times he was going to use the F word in that presentation. Was this when you were here in Indiana or in Texas? Um, I was in Texas, but this was a national conference and the woman who had signed the check to bring him was sitting on stage behind him right next to the president of the corporation and our parent company. <laughs> She was having a bad day. She was having a bad day. But so he was he was brilliant. His message was right on for the audience. It was just blue. It, it was just blue. The same thing can happen. And and you're not gonna censor people completely, but if you if you take a look at somebody's tweets, you're gonna know whether they let the occasional fly or whether that's just and I would say a lot of organizations don't do that homework. I was invited to an event as a tweet team. They've never done this before. It was their first time. The organization didn't follow me on Twitter until two days after the event. <laughs> True story. Yeah, and, and that's, I think that's high risk. But let's talk a little bit about some of the other things I think organizations need to do mm -hmm. to prepare. Um, if you're going to engage a tweet team, mm -hmm. um, uh, okay, it was it was a little controversial, but I was part of the Social 46 leading up to the Super Bowl, mm -hmm. and I think they did a really good job mm -hmm. going into that. They brought us all together, and they gave us fact sheets. Mm -hmm. They gave us information and routinely sent us information leading up to the event mm -hmm. so that we would be informed, we could ask questions, we could answer questions, we had information we could share, okay. and then put our own spin on it. But they did a good job of telling us, these are the kind of things we'd love you to t be talking about. Look for examples mm -hmm. of this. If you like this kind of stuff, this is what we want you to do. And that's a great practice. I find that in general, most organizations don't give their tweet teams enough, enough information. So before they ever set foot at your event, whatever that is, they should know what they're trying to do. Are they trying to get more people there this year? Is it something that's supposed to be long-term down the road? Are they trying to just increase awareness of an event or organization? Those are all goals. What is the hashtag for the event? And you should have a hashtag. Um, what are the handles of the, of the organization? Give people all of that. Don't assume that they have it. Because there is nothing worse than being at an event trying to search on Twitter for the handle for the speaker. Because I've been at conferences mm -hmm. where I want to tweet and share information. I'm like, darn, what is that person's? And I've been at other events where right in the program book was the hashtag, mm -hmm. was every speaker, their handle mm -hmm. was listed so I could comment and, and follow and interact with them. And... As a participant, it improved the quality mm -hmm. of my experience, but it also improved the reach of that event. Mm -hmm. um, last thing I want to talk about, or maybe not last thing, but one thing I want to talk about is, um, as you make this transition and you start bringing 
bloggers and tweet teams to your events, it's really important that you don't just talk to the social people, but that you talk to your own staff too. This is one of the biggest times that this can fall apart. Um, I do a lot of tweeting for uh, theatrical events, um, and so I rarely, I can only think of one or two instances where I've live tweeted through an event. You have to get explicit permission because it can be distracting both for the actors and for the audience. So in most cases, you're doing it before, intermission, and after. That's typically how it goes. I had one organization who, it was their first time doing a tweet team, and when we got there, we were there with some students who were also previewing the show, and we got the most condescending lecture about how we couldn't have phones on during the show, and if we did, even if we did before, we would be tapped on the shoulder and asked to leave. So I'm looking around, why am I here? Why am I here? If I can't talk about what you want me to talk about, and I've been yelled at for taking pictures of a stage before curtain went up, um, make sure your staff knows that you've got people there whose its job is to help you. Because we can't help you if you won't let us have our phones out. Absolutely. I mean, and, and ex a good example of just the other side, I think there was a, a Broadway road company where they invited the tweet team backstage, yes. either before or after the show. There were two instances. Uh, for Beauty and the Beast, we kind of snuck on the tour, but it was awesome. We got to see backstage after the show. And then with Jersey Boys, we got to meet the cast, which was awesome because they were really cute. So that was fantastic. So if you can give those little extras to people, they're going to be more excited and they're going to tweet more for you. That's how you can influence what they say without telling them what to say. If you give them something genuinely awesome, they will give you anything. And particularly like on a theater uh, show where it is a limited run, mm -hmm. stack the deck. Um, you know, people will be like, oh, I've got my free ticket, I'm gonna come Thursday, and mm -hmm. Thursday's the last night. No, you know, no. be Dictate clear. opening night. Or a preview night. A preview night is great. Last dress rehearsal, fantastic. Yeah, because there is a little bit more of the stop and start, mm -hmm. and um, you get you get more of a behind the scenes. No, feel. last dress rehearsal is a run through. Is it? Is really? Mm -hmm. But so, but you're still not disturbing the audience. Well, you're getting all the information out to really even pack the house then for opening exactly. night. Exactly. The earlier in the process that you can get people involved, the better. So, if you've got an event coming up. In addition to this podcast, be sure to check out some of the blog posts on roundpeg.biz where we talk about promoting events. We hope you've enjoyed today's program. This has been another episode of More Than a Few Words. Thanks for listening.